I hope you like that song. Because you're going to... It appears you do. You're going to hear that song every week before I speak. That's the theme song of the month. For this month, we're going to be doing a study of the names of God and looking at your name. But first, let me just real quick throw one more commercial in. Uh, 1.1.1. Oh, man. 1.1.1. You've seen some stickers around the building. That is going to change your life. That is going to change your life. 1.1.1. You're saying, Gene, what is it? We'll tell you later. Right now, we're just messing with you. Can you remember when you agonized about the name of your first child? You wanted a name that child would be proud of. Maybe it was a family name. Names were put on the list. Names were taken off the list. Why the hassle? Why do we struggle so much to get the right name for our child? Because it's the first method of self-revelation. Whenever you meet someone, the first thing you say is your name. Go to a conference. Hello, my name is. But all of us have a lot of names. You're saying, no, that's not true. You know, you're Gene. That's right. My kids call me dad. My people in my church call me pastor. My parents call me son. My grandchildren call me papa. My wife calls me honey. That's all me. I got a lot of names. As you think about it, you got a lot of names. And they're all appropriate. They're all unique to a relationship. In other words, nobody really should call me son except two parents, my, my parents. Nobody should call me dad except my two kids. The name is unique to the relationship. When you have the relationship, you can use the name. If you don't have the relationship, it's a little wrong. I, I don't want any of these guys that are ushers saying, hey, honey, come here. That's just wrong. Maybe even a tad gross. So as we assign the significance to names, and we have a lot of names, they're even more important in biblical times. For them, the existence, your very existence was married to your name. Jacob's name was changed to Israel as he wrestled with the angel. So as we study all these different names of God, they're incredibly important to us and they're dangerous. One of the Ten Commandments, I mean one of the top ten, Exodus 20, verse 7, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It doesn't say don't take the, the Lord in vain. It says don't even take the name of the Lord in vain. A lot of people feel like, well, that's using his name in profanity. Well, I'm sure that's part of it. But the key is using his name in a way you're not allowed. If you're not my son, you shouldn't call me dad. If you don't have this relationship that the name requires, you can't use it. So it's dangerous. So we need to know these names and what they mean. It's amazing how the names then become a weapon of praise. Look at Psalm chapter 48, verse 10. I want you to see it. According to thy name, O Lord, so is the praise of the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is filled of righteousness. What is the praise to the ends of the earth? The name. Keep going. Psalm 8.1, look at it. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has glory above the heavens. He's excellent, but here it's saying just your name is excellent. So as we understand his name and we qualify to use it, our praise is more effective, even better it's when we go when we need him most. He, it becomes a weapon on our behalf. I love this verse, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. When do you need him? 
you call out a name, it becomes like a fort. It provides protection for the believer. We study the names of God. A couple of things I want to make sure you realize. We didn't make these names up. There's not some creative guy that went, you know, I'll call you Jehovah Jireh. He gave us these names because he expects us to use them. And when we use them, he says, I respond. I got to tell you something. When my grandchildren crawl on my lap and say, I love you, Papa, my wallet just comes out of my back pocket. <laughs> what would you like? He's, he's used that name to hear him say, Papa, melts me. God comes to us and says, I tell you what, I got names I'm going to give you for a unique relationship. And when you use them, I respond. I draw to them. So the key is we got to know how to use them. We, we got to know what they mean. And if you qualify, it becomes a praise weapon and it becomes a fortress to run to. So today I, I want to call your attention to a name, Jehovah Jireh. And I, I, I think the best way to teach it is to be transparent. I, I hate to admit this, but I'm a junkie. I'm hooked. And ESPN is my drug contact. I love sports. I am a junkie. I will watch a game where I don't care who wins. That's a sickness. <laughs> and I'm not really too much into pro football. I know, Super Bowl. I, I think I'm pulling for the Chiefs. But if San Francisco wins, it doesn't change my life. You know, I, 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 I like pro football. I get pulled into pro football when the Bears are good, which God knows. <laughs> uh, but, basket, but, but football, college, and I love college sports. I can usually quote who's the top 10 and who's winning, what the upsides are. Saturday afternoons, Tammy just stays away because it's college football game. And, and uh, basketball, same thing. I, you know, I, I follow the pros. I watch some of the playoffs. But college basketball might be my favorite sport of all. I, I mean, I, 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 I am a junkie. In March Madness, forget about it. I got my bracket filled out. It's on the fridge. I'm checking everything. I really care. So college sports kind of jump out at me. Baseball, I, I, I'm obviously more into, into pros. I'm a huge Cub fan. When, when, yeah, yeah. When, 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 they, when they won it all, Tammy is still finding confetti in the carpet. I mean, I, I, went, I went crazy. Ground ball to Chris Bryant, flipped it over to Rizzo, and it's over. Now, I, you say, well, you know what? Why don't you follow the Sox? I, I'm not much of a minor league team fan. <laughs> yes. Alienate half the crowd. How wise can you be? You know, I, I thought about this. Why, why I mean, I'm hooked. I, I, you know, I think I figured out why. Because there's drama. Once in a while there's a blowout, but usually there's, a uni there's that unique moment when the game is decided now. It, it's fourth and one at the, at, at, at the, at the one-yard line, and, and there's no time left. There's a, there's a free throw, and, there's, and, and the game is tied with one second left. Bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, the tie game. No one's going to the bathroom in that stadium. I mean, they're standing. Right now, we're going to find out who wins. There, there's a unique drama to sports, and it pulls me in. I mean, I absolutely love that drama. And so I, I think that's why Jehovah Jireh is a fun one for me, because it is one of those drama moments. It might be the greatest drama moment in the Bible when it's the bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, free throw, 
With a tie game, no time left, ball at the one-yard line. I mean, this is, this is the biblical drama of all time. And at this drama is when God reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh. As you study the names of God, the best way to know what they mean is when did they first become used? What episode did God use to say, now I'm going to give you this name? Once we know where it started, then it flows from there. And it really begins in Abraham's life. Most of our names begin with Abraham. And it's a unique demand. Genesis 22.1 says, after all these things, and it's going to go on to more, but after all these things, in other words, after everything you've been through, after all the ways I've led you, now is going to come your episode of test. So we're called to mind that he's been so successful. He's done so many things. He's, 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 he's occupied a land that God told him. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing. You're going to have a great family. On and on and on and on. And part of the blessing, he says, your family is going to lead, is going to evolve into nations. You have so many descendants, so many children. But Abram, at this point his name hasn't changed to Abram. Abram is going, you know God, you keep telling me I'm going to have kids. You do know I'm 99 years old. And my wife is 90. I mean, I believe you, but get a little weird here. And he renews the covenant and this 90-year-old woman gives birth to a son named Isaac. And Abram's name is changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Isaac is here. The beloved son, the promised one. The nation's going to come from Abraham, and Isaac's here. The nation's going to flow from him. This is the kid at this long journey. The promised one has finally come. I can't imagine how Abraham loved this boy. I'll give you a little Bible trivia. The first time the word love is written in the Bible is Abraham's feeling for Isaac. The very first time the word love is in the Bible, it's Abraham to Isaac. And there's this this passion about a new baby. I've told you our our daughter and son-in-law have adopted, we have a brand new baby. It is so fun to see her as a mom. She's texting us everything. Benjamin lifted his head today. I'm going, he's a genius. (laughs) Every little thing we're celebrating. I can't imagine Abraham and Sarah, they got Isaac, father of a nations. And then comes this incredible command. The promised one. Take him and sacrifice him. The father of nations. Take your son to the mountain, I tell you, and kill it. Excuse me. He's the future. Yet the the very next verse is Genesis 22, verse 3. Excuse me. I I want you to see the first verse. Genesis 22, verse 2. I I, I don't want to mess you up. God's speaking. And he said, take now thine own son Isaac, who you love, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt sacrifice upon the mountains, I tell thee. Kill him. The thing that blows my mind, that's Genesis 22, 2. Genesis 22, 3, the very next verse. Look at this. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled the donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And the clave of wood for the burnt offering rose up and went to the place God told him. Here's the kicker for me. Abraham obeys immediately. The very next verse. There's no talk about, wait a second, God. You're wrong. Are you sure? There's no talk about a battle here. There's no talk about, about objection. Doesn't that bother you? You're saying, Eugene, maybe the Bible's sanitized. 
You know, we just kind of leave that argument out. Well, there's no, there's no proof of that. In fact, the evidence seems to be the opposite. The Bible's not sanitized. We have Moses arguing with God in the burning bush episode. That's pretty clear. Gideon crying out loud, fleece after fleece after fleece after fleece. Gideon argues with God. We could go on and on about other examples where the Bible's not sanitized, where we question God. It's very clear. Abraham obviously doesn't, because if he did, they'd have told us. He's got to be struggling. How does he trust God this much? So Abraham, Isaac, and two aides travel three days to kill him. At the mountain, Abraham instructs the young men traveling with him, you guys stay down here with the donkeys. We're going to go on up. Just me and my boy. I want you to see this verse. Genesis 22.5. And Abraham said to his young men, abide here with the donkey. I of the lad will go yonder and worship and we will come back again to you. Did you see it? That's weird. We will come back to you? Let me get this straight. Abraham's going up on the mountain. He's going to kill Isaac and come back alone. So why did he say, we will come back to you? He's talking as if his son's coming back too. He's going to kill him. Why would they both return? So what's in Abraham's mind? Why, why would he make that kind of a weird statement? We don't have to guess. We know. Hebrews tells us. Hebrews gives us insight into the thoughts of Abraham. Take a look at it. Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he, was tr- when he was tried, tested, offered up Isaac, that he received the promises offered up of his only begotten son. Interesting wording there, isn't it? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Of whom it is said that Isaac shall be the seed called. In other words, he's the seed. He's the future. According that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he received him in figure. In other words, what's going on in his mind? Abraham solved it. Got to obey God. Got to kill a kid. But God, he's the future. So God's got to raise him from the dead. That's how he's figured it out. Now this is the resurrection hasn't happened in the first 21 chapters of Genesis. This has never happened. But Isaac has got to, he's got to sort this out. So in his mind he feels like, I got to kill this kid because God told me to. I'm that obedient. God's more important than Isaac. And Isaac's the beloved one. But Isaac's the future. A plus B plus C, you know, whatever. He mathematically figures, we've got to raise him from the dead. Talk about trust. This had never happened. So Abraham believed him all the way to death. He solved the puzzle. Father and son go up the mountain. Finally, I mean, Isaac by this time as we date these events, is not a baby. He's not a toddler. He's 30-ish. He's a man. So which means Abraham is in the 120 ballpark. They go up the mountain, and Isaac, being an adult, says, you know, Dad, I see the wood. I see all the elements. Where's the lamb? I'm sure Abraham didn't want that question. And I dreaded the obvious question that you would certainly ask. Genesis 22, 8, I want you to see it. Abraham's response. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb as a burnt offering. So they both went on together. I wish the Bible was a newspaper, don't you? I'm missing all the stuff. They get to the top, and they would put a lamb out. Jesus was our lamb. Jesus sacrificed the way lamb. They would open the lamb up. 
They, they prepare this altar. The whole time, Isaac's going to be going, I don't see a lamb. They're doing all this at some point. Abraham has got to say to Isaac, my beloved son lay down on the altar. At some point. Which says to me, Isaac had to agree. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't going to hit his dad. He's not, he's not going to beat his dad up. But he could run. A 120-year-old man is not going to catch a 30-year-old kid flying through the woods. Isaac is unbelievably obedient. Abraham, at some point, had to say, lay down on the altar. Isaac does it. Talk about obedience. If I'm Isaac, I'm tempted to say, excuse me. I'll see at the bottom of the hill. Don't laugh. You would too. This is death. I wish we had more dialogue because something's going on here. And so here we go. Isaac lays down. The binding begins. And Abraham sharpens the knife. I'm sure Abraham is crying. I'm sure the emotions are on this mountaintop. I'm sure he's saying, God, could I trade places? Could I lay on the altar and be the sacrifice and Isaac stab me? I'm 120 years old. Can, can you spare my son? I can't believe this. We will raise him from the dead, but can, can, is there any way that this cup could be taken from me? Can we not do this? You know that's in his heart. He finally has the knife sharpened. He goes over his son and says, my son, I so love you. And it's the bottom of the night. Is there more drama than this? He's got that knife. We're going to come flying down and cut his son open ceremonially. And an angel says, stop. Genesis twenty-two, twelve. 12, you to see it. The angel speaking. And he said, lay not thine hand on the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only begotten son, again, from me. Now, that messes with me. For I know thou fearest God. There's a translation that I love even better, that says, for now we know about you. Hey, talk is cheap. Has God ever put me in a position to find out about me? Has he ever put me in a position to say, do I trust you this much to do this? Will I risk this much for you? Or is this more important than you? Because the angel said, now we know about you. Does he ever put us in situations to find out about me? But here you are. This is the bottom of the ninth, man. And the angel says, stop. I'm sure Abraham went, okay. But Abraham raised his eyes, and he saw a ram caught in the bush. And the Lord said, why don't you use that ram instead? And Genesis 22:14, 14, we have it. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, first time it appears. As it is this day, in the mount where the Lord shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh literally means the Lord will provide. Now the Hebrew is the Lord will provide to see. It's connecting providing and seeing. you got to know what's to be provided to see. Our, our word provision is two Latin words, pro and vision. In other words, the animal was already stuck in that thicket when they were climbing the mountain. The solution was already in place when he was tying them down. The solution was just waiting for them. God had anticipated before he even understood the situation. God had already been there. The provision, the need had already been met. Well, God anticipated our need for a Savior. 
He provided Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Provided Jehovah Jireh through the Virgin Mary, Joseph, wise men. Provided for us because he understood our need before we understood our need. All these names of God also point to Jesus. Jesus fulfills Jehovah Jireh. He fulfilled our need. And by the way, did you catch the symbolism? Abraham stretches out his son on that sacrifice. Jesus is our lamb stretched out exactly on the sacrifice. Did you notice it took three days to get to the mountain? A three-day death journey. Jesus is three days in the grave in a death journey. Jesus is in his young 30s, obedient to the death. Isaac is young 30s, obedient to the death. And it's written over and over, over, take thy son, thy only begotten son. It's so tempting to stop right there. But God then says, tell you what, Abraham, I've just seen all this. I know you. And so, look at Genesis 22, 16 to 18. And he said, God is talking, by myself I've sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and not withheld thy son, thine only begotten son, that in blessing I will bless thee, multiplying, and I will multiply thy seed like the stars of heaven and the sand upon the seashore, and they shall possess the gate of the enemies. And thy seed shall be all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It's an obedience issue. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. To pray Jehovah Jireh, here's the challenge. It gets tough. He's got to have your Isaac. What's more important to you than God? Nothing, Gene. What's more important to you? Career, family, relationships, retirement, funding, fill in the blank. Is there anything that can possibly, possibly have more value? Lip service is fine, but we got to find out about you. Is there anything that really all truth be truth in the soul? You're not answering anybody but yourself and God. That's kind of more important. If that's the case, never pray the name Jehovah Jireh because you've then taken his name in vain. But do you trust him enough with everything, even that stuff that's incredibly important? It's right to love your family. It's right to worry about your career and your, 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 your retirement. But are they second to God? Because here's the challenge. When he is first, he meets all those other needs. Why do you think it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God? Jesus prayed, our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. His name. So Jehovah Jireh is a powerful term, but it has a powerful challenge. And as we go through the names of God, you're going to discover they all have incredible challenges. Jehovah Jireh challenge. If nothing is more important, there's no Isaac more important to God than God. If anything is more important than God, then you cannot use the term. But if he is trusted enough with everything that he is paramount in your life, then you can run to him in prayer and say, I want to crawl on your lap and say, I love you, Jireh. And you will feel the presence and power. And when, when, when it rains on you, because it rains on the Satanist sin, when things begin to go wrong, when things begin to collapse, you can run to him as a strong fort and say, you are my Jehovah Jireh. I believe you have solutions in my life. Father, we come before you and realize the names of God are so powerful. It's, a ten, it's one of the Ten Commandments. We don't dare, we don't dare 
use this name unless we qualify. Every name that people call me, whether it's pastor, son, or dad, or papa, or whatever, it's based on a relationship. And Jaira is based on a singular relationship that you are more important than anything else. But when you are, the strong tower is there. Educate us this month on your name and the power, power that we're not using sometimes. That we need to prepare ourselves to be in a position to use and then use and receive your power. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. We've always wrapped up the services with ascending verse. Proverbs 18.10. This is kind of obvious. Say it with me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. You're saying, Gene, this is a little bit of a change. You usually have us standing up and they say, thank you for worshiping. I, I changed it because I want to talk to you for about two or three minutes. In fact, I think I want to do this. So it, it's such an obvious change. How you doing? I want to talk to you about something that uh, it'll take me a few minutes to set up. Uh, Tim Tebow, you're going, oh, I can't wait to see where this is going. Tim Tebow, football player, uh, wealthy football player, has set up a foundation because he has a heart for adults with a handicap. And the foundation is called Night to Shine. You can apply, and basically what you're doing is giving them a special night. It's the Friday before Valentine's, or five days from now. Night to Shine is a prom just for those that have an adults with a handicap. And the foundation gives you $8,000. Valpo Naz, VNC, applied about six or seven years ago, and we've done it every year. One of the things that's helped us, so many apply. One of the things that's helped us is, you may be aware of Opportunity Enterprises in Valparaiso. It is an organization where adults with a handicap can work. They run a store, they do a lot of things, and they earn money. OE partnered with us in writing our grant application. And, and we've got it. And once you have it, you can do it every year. So it's kind of automatic. So BNC gets $8,000 a year from Tim Tebow to put on a prom. Last year's prom cost a little bit less than $26,000. I'm not coming to you for an offering. Whew, thank you, Jesus. Uh, Valpo NAS hasn't put a dime in. Organizations, companies in Valpo are thrilled to partner in this event. Uh, we have room for 300. And I think this year we have 320 guests. Every guest has a partner, a buddy. And every guest it, it, it has a crown because it's their night to be a king and a queen. Our sanctuary is like yours. Your chairs can be taken away. It, it, it's a flexible room. We have a gigantic sanctuary. The whole middle section is taken off for their dance floor. The sides have chairs. They, uh, the way Valpo Naz is set up, the old sanctuary has a long, long hall leading to the new sanctuary. They come in and register at the old sanctuary. And there is uh, beauticians there to finish up the ladies. And there's a gigantic long red carpet. We have people standing alongside that red carpet just cheering, high-fiving so they get to their, their uh, photo. And then we, we have party uh, limos that go rides the neighborhood. There is a karaoke room. There's a quiet room. There's a buffet for them, our guests. There's a buffet for their parents. There is a, 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 a room with films going on. With 320 guests this year and 320 buddies, between staff People working all the, all, everywhere. There'll be more than 1,000 people at VNC Friday night pulling this thing off. We don't need more volunteers. But Eric Wood is a staff person in charge of Night to Shine. And I said, Eric, I, I'm, at, I'm at real life. I'm having a great time. They're, they're a great group of people. I, <laughs> Woody gets away with. 
And I said, would, would, would it bother you if I just opened up to real life and say, do you guys need a blessing? Could you give a night away when you drive home to go, this was one of the best things I've ever done? He said, sure, we, we'll, find, we'll find a way. We, we got places we, we can insert people. If you would like to, it costs you nothing, to volunteer for an evening, to partner with us in Night to Shine, we could make it happen. But I thought I'd give you a visual. I've got about a three-minute video of a story that we discovered a couple years ago at Night to Shine. I want you to see a video. Last February, VNC hosted Night to Shine, which is a prom for people with special needs created by the Tim Tebow Foundation. We partnered with many great organizations in order to make Night to Shine a reality here in Valparaiso. One of these organizations was Opportunity Enterprises. We received a call and asked, would we like to be a part of this? And would we be able to support uh, the opportunity? Immediately, we were thrilled and uh, wanted to be involved. One of the most special stories um, that happened through Night to Shine was a story about Anita. Anita had been with Opportunity Enterprises for several years. Um, she had some very special needs, but she was a beautiful, loving woman. And when this came up, she immediately said, oh, I'd really like to go. I would love to go to the prom. I've never been to one before, and no one would ever take me. Well, it turned out that someone did take her to the prom, and that got her very excited. And then she started worrying about what was she going to wear, because that's what girls do. The uh, staff in the market uh, decided that they were going to take her out because Anita had worked in the market for quite a, quite a while and they wanted to take her out to get a dress and so they made a day of it. Anita went out, picked her very first dress, got shoes, got a purse, got jewelry and she was all set to go to the prom. I don't think there was anyone any happier than her to be able to do this. The excitement was so high that's all she talked about for weeks. She made arrangements to go to this dance, but she came up with her own set of guidelines for the dance. And she had rules for, for her date. Number one, don't believe this is not a date. <laughs> number two, you act like a gentleman. And number three, you, you be polite to me and pull out those chairs. I said, okay, got the rule book. <laughs> She told me up front that she loves to dance and she has all the plans to be dancing all evening. And that's exactly what she did. For Anita, this was life-changing. She talked about that every day, every day after the prom. Pictures were shown to everyone. It was one of her proudest, proudest memories. And her mother said that, that it was one of the greatest nights of her life. So that was such a privilege and an honor for her. The prom night was one of the most memorable and rewarding nights of my life. Just watching them uh, having fun, uh, the joy on their faces, and not caring what anyone else thinks, what they're doing or how they are acting. Within two months of that evening, Anita passed away. And so in, at the end of her life, uh, she had no regrets. Uh, Anita's mom told me that her day, she said, she said I just made her day. Her family said I made her day. It was like a whole entire thing. And nobody knew that that was the day that she felt special. 
Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, do you need a blessing? Do you need one night of your life where you say, I, I need to go home realizing this was a blessing for me? Uh, we put it up on the screen. You go on that site, write it down, and say, can I partner with you and just be there that night? Now, if you just want to go watch, don't come. We, we, we don't have room for people who are not pulling on a rope. But if you say, I would like to, I want to volunteer. Uh, we have more than enough volunteers. But we want to give you the opportunity. Now, just as a side light, that means nothing. You're saying, you know, when I go out, I, I want to see Gene and just say, hi, I'm, I'm here too. I have to miss this one. It's the first one I've ever missed. Uh, my mother-in-law's having hip replacement surgery Friday, so Tammy and I are going to be there overnight. So I, I'm sick that it fell in because it is a blessing night. If you say, you know, I kind of, I could use a blessing in my life. I could use a night when I drive home and feel good about what I did. Uh, you're invited. And I wanted to make sure that you knew that you were invited to just experience night to shine. Father, it's been good to be in your house. You are Jaira. If there's anything more important in my life that challenges that, lay it on my heart. Because I want the privilege to crawl into your presence and declare that you are my Jaira. And next week as we prepare for Adonai, may we come with a spirit of expectation for holy is your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping again at Real Life Community today.